This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're talking about Easter. Uh, most of you, without any definition, would understand when I say the word Easter, you would understand it has something to do with Jesus, something to do with the cross, and something to do with the resurrection. What you might not know is that Jesus is the only religious leader, if you want to call him that, that rose from the dead. There's no other religious leader in all of history, in all of the universe, that ever even tried to rise from the dead. Every one of the leaders of major religions are dead, buried, we go to their tombs, or I don't, but people do, and, uh, you know, kiss the toe of a statue, or, you know, drop some money in, or read one of their books, and uh, I'm not making fun of those religions at all. What I'm saying is the difference between us and religion is that the person we actually serve is alive. He rose from the dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, he actually predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection. Nobody else has ever even tried to do that. Nobody else has even hinted that when they die, they would rise from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus has been gone to school on by the best, the genius, the researchers, the, the people of history, the people that have tried to prove it wrong, the people that have done hundreds of thousands of hours of work on this thing called the resurrection. No one else has ever gone through that kind of scrutiny, ever. No one has ever gone through this kind of scrutiny to try to prove that it's a hoax. It never happened. Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, only to find out there's more proof about his death, his burial, and his resurrection than any person who has ever lived on planet Earth. We have more documentation and more research only to prove that Jesus Christ really did die and rose from the dead. 500 people saw him the day after he rose from the dead. Can I hear any one say, wow. wow. It's a wow. The resurrection is a wow. Now, the Bible talked about the resurrection in this way. It says, if there's no resurrection, you don't have to worry about it. You have no concern. If there's no resurrection, everything we believe in is just smoke and mirrors. It doesn't exist. It's not real. And whatever the Bible says, anything about what the Bible says, you don't have to worry about it because Jesus Christ really didn't rise from the dead. That's what 1 Corinthians says. The Apostle Paul about the resurrection says, if it didn't happen, you have no worries. If it did happen, then you should be very interested in the person who broke the law of sin and death and the person who rose from the dead and what the resurrection means to us is it's a huge pillar to our Christian faith. We have something that no other faith has and that is the resurrection. What the resurrection says to us is that truth could not hold him in the grave and that Jesus Christ really was the son of God and that Jesus Christ being the son of God, nothing could hold him in the grave and because of that, we have hope for our future and when we face the grave, we have hope also for a resurrection. That's what the resurrection says to us. Now, let's talk about Easter being the cross, being Jesus, being the resurrection. You understand that. Let's talk about it more personally. Let's just talk about it between you and me, you and me, between you and maybe the Lord, the Lord Jesus. In the gospel of John, I'm going to turn there and read John chapter 5. I'm going to read two scriptures in the gospel of John chapter 5. And this is the Lord Jesus addressing a group of people, just like I'm addressing this morning. That is, they were real people. They, these were people that were listening to Jesus' teaching. They were not all believers in his teaching. They were just people just like 
as president in this auditorium today. Uh, some were believers in that he might be the Messiah. Some were totally, no, he's not. And some were just there out of curiosity, listening to Jesus teach and work miracles. And whenever he opened his mouth, he said things that were so uh, ludicrous to the uh, hearers of that day, absolutely outrageous, different. He wasn't like any other teacher. In John chapter 4, verse 24, he says, more surely, I say to you, he who hears my word, I want you to say out loud with me the word hear. Everyone just say it, hear. So you have an ear to hear. And in the Bible, there's two realms of hearing. There's two levels of hearing. One is what you're doing right now. You're listening to my voice. You can hear it. The other one is a spiritual hear and a spiritual listening where you can only hear what is being said in the spirit or in the spirit realm or in the eternal realm, the invisible realm, the mysterious realm, the realm that most people don't understand. And so Jesus is talking to people who were listening to his voice, but he wanted to talk with them about listening to something different than just his natural voice. And so he takes the opportunity to introduce them to something new. He says, he who hears my word and believed. Will you say out loud the word believe? believe? Okay, so there's a response here. So Jesus is taken for granted they might respond, and he's wading right into it without a lot of explanation. He says, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, this is not understood in, in his day, everlasting life. They did not understand everlasting life. That was not a theme of the Sadducees, Pharisees, or any of the people that taught religion in those days. Even the Jewish religion, everlasting life was not the theme. It was moral life. It was good life. It was living the life that pleased God. It wasn't about resurrection. Resurrection was not a theme of that day. Everlasting life was not a theme of that day. Jesus introduces a new theme. He says, he who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. Judgment was not something that he stopped to explain. He just said, you know, there's a judgment that you might come under. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now, but if you hear my voice, you won't come under that judgment. He doesn't explain it. He just says it. Then he goes on to make quite an astounding statement, but has passed from death into life. Jesus has not passed into death, from death into life yet. There's, there's no resurrection yet, but he teaches them that there's something in what they would hear that would cause them to actually, now notice, believe, not only believe, but gain everlasting life, not only everlasting life, but bypass judgment, whatever that judgment is, you don't even have to know what it is, as long as you know you can bypass it. And also, you will pass from death into life, and then in verse 25, most assuredly, notice he starts both the verses with this emphatic, in the Greek, it's, uh, there's this, there, it needs no explanation. This is uh, most specific. This is, this is like putting the nail down, the stake down. He says, now most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming. Then he says, no, not the hour is coming. It's already here. Now, right now. Now, this would get your attention if you were part of that group, and I hope it gets your attention today because I hope the penny drops right now what I'm going to say. He says, the hour is coming. That could be like the resurrection of you know, all mankind or the second coming, the hour. What hour is he talking about? Jesus talks about this hour a bunch of times in the New Testament. But he says, no, it's now. What do you mean it's now? 
When the dead, now there's two kinds of dead. They're dead, physical, we all understand it. You die, you go to the grave, dead. But there's another dead that Jesus is referring to right here, is dead spiritually. A person is separated from God. Their spirit is dead. They have no life in them. There's no response in them to God. I was in church for a long time with a dead spirit. I did not respond to anything. I sung the songs, but I had no quickening, no life, no, no love for it. It was just a, a dead letter song to me, so I sang it. I would listen to the preacher, read the Bible, but the Bible was dead to me. I had no life in the Bible. The Bible was boring to me. I would watch people do things in the service, and it was dead to me. The preacher was dead. The songs were dead. The atmosphere was dead. Everything was dead. It's not that the atmosphere was dead, or the preacher was dead, or the Bible was dead. I was dead. And because I was dead, I had no response to anything. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. There's two kinds of death. There's the death and the physical, which is, is a horrible thing. And you need to consider that, you know, there's something after that. Uh, but there's also a spiritual death, and that's even worse than the natural death. And Jesus says here a very, in my mind, a pretty astounding thing. He says, when the dead will hear the voice. Well, how does a dead person hear a voice? One of the jobs that I had when I was going to junior college down in California, this is way back, I worked at a mortuary. It was one of those jobs where they gave you a place to live, you had a car to drive, a hearse. <laughs> you had total quiet to study, nobody bothered me at the morgue. One time when two of my friends were over and uh, I opened one of the coffins, we were getting ready for a, a funeral. I hated my job. I don't know why I ever did this job. I hated the job. But I said to my friend, go ahead and witness to this guy. He says, well, he's dead. I said, yeah, go ahead and witness to him. He said, you can't witness to a dead person. I said, that's why it's so important to for us to witness to live people before they get to this place right here where they can't hear, they can't move, they can't respond. I was trying to do the evangelistic thing. And so it is in our spiritual realm, we need to respond to God when we can respond to God and respond with life. But if you're in the service today and you have no response to anything, you don't respond to the worship, to the preaching, even what I'm doing right now is kind of like, uh, where's this guy going with this? You know, geez, I want to go to lunch here in a little bit uh, because there's no life in you. I'm hoping to move you from death to life. I would like you to be able to respond to God. Now, Jesus says, and this is what I'm going to say to you right here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and then he says it, and those who hear will live. Is it possible, is it possible, just possible, that the voice of God might come to you today? That the Holy Spirit, and that's how the voice of God comes. It's not audible, it's not like a thunder or something, it's it's the Holy Spirit, even if you don't recognize the Holy Spirit, which probably you don't, just like I did when the Holy Spirit first came upon my life. I didn't recognize it to be the Holy Spirit, but the Bible says the Spirit draws us to the Father. The Spirit draws us 
into the message of the gospel. The Spirit actually comes and opens our heart and the Holy Spirit begins to work on us to get us to respond. In this service, the Holy Spirit has already been working upon you in the worship with the song, the words. Maybe there was something in you, even if it was just a little bit, you felt yourself kind of move emotionally to say, I would like that. I would like to know God. I would like all my sins nailed to the cross. I would like a new beginning. I would like forgiveness. I'd like to be healed. I would like something to happen of like a miracle in my life, but I don't think it will. I, I don't think I've ever experienced it. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit just nudging you a little bit, saying, open up, be ready, respond. I'm after you. It says in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit again, but it uses the analogy of a house, that he knocks. He knocks on the door. Today, there are people in this room where the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door. He's saying, hey, let me in. Well, I don't know if I want to let you in because if I let you in, you might, you might move my furniture and mess up my life. Come on, let me in. Why would I let you in? I've done it before and nothing really happened. You know, I went to the altar, I prayed a prayer, I did it on television, I did it with a friend, or I've heard all about religion and you know, nothing really changed in me. Come on, let me in. I, I can do this, I can change you. Let me in, open the door. I wanna come in and change your life. And so the Holy Spirit is knocking on your door. The Holy Spirit is the most persistent grace that you will ever experience in life. God never gives up on you. God never stops short. God never listens to your friends. He never listens to the people that are ticked off at you. He never listens to the people that have written you off and say they are crummy, they are horrible. Write them off, nobody should love them. They can't be trusted. I don't even think God can change. Even when your parents might write you off or your best friend, you've been engraved in the scar tissue of the hands of Jesus. He can't write you off. You're a part of his covenant. When he looks at the scars, he looks at your name and he says, I don't care if Frank has been written off. I will never write him off. I'm after him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to overtake him. I'm going to keep knocking on the door until he opens the door because that's the love of God coming to you. He never, ever stops, ever, 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 ever stops. Just keeps knocking. Come on, open the door, open the door. Even when you don't have any knowledge of God, Holy Spirit, Bible, church, you don't need it to open the door. What you need to understand is God loves you with an everlasting love. He won't let you go. He can forgive you. He can work in your life. You can be born again. Jesus Christ can save anyone. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, probably everybody knows it from somewhere. God so loved the world. He does. Everyone. It says in the book of Romans and in the book of Peter, I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anyone to be damned. I want everyone to bow their knee before the Father. Will everyone bow their knee? No. Because the gospel's presented doesn't mean the gospel's received. Because you hear the gospel and understand the gospel doesn't mean you're born again. 
Because you go to church and shake your head up and down and say, I understand that, does not mean that you've been born again. In order for you to be born again, Jesus says in John chapter 5, you have to believe. You have to move toward the cross. The cross is God saying to you, I love you. I have forgiven you. I have taken care of your sin. I have paid the price. I have paved the way for you to come. I have filled the gap with my own body. I am here for you. I want to love you, forgive you, and make you a brand new person. But unless you move toward the cross, the cross is only a symbol. It's only an idea. It's out there with God shouting at you. But you have to move toward the cross and say, I believe. And whosoever believeth in me has everlasting life. God can save anyone. He can save you. Doesn't matter about your past. Doesn't matter how horrible you might be bringing to the cross. Doesn't matter. I mean, God saved all kinds of people in the Bible that Rahab was a prostitute, Moses was a murderer, and Abraham was an idol worshiper, and David was an adulterer, and Peter failed, 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 failed. And we have all kinds of people in the Bible that God saved. Well, the good news is God can save you. Whatever you bring to the cross, it starts new when you bring it to the cross. It doesn't matter about your past. He can save you and cleanse you right where you are. Can I hear an Amen. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ has a strategy for your life. Jesus Christ is pursuing you right now. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you right now. And this is what he would say to you. I have all the second chances you will ever need. I'm the God who is mercy full. Full. Of mercy. You know, but I've tried and I stumbled, I started and I stopped, and you know, I've got so many issues and dysfunctionalities, and you know, I don't even know if I believe everything you're saying, but I do do know I need God, but I just don't know how to I mean every piece of you, known by God, He knows every piece of you. God says, I'll have mercy on you. Well, Frank, I think I've I've used my mercy up. You know, then you're missing the whole point about the God that's after you. God doesn't have some kind of a book where he's saying, oh, Frank, Frank, oh yeah, Frank. More mercy. Nope, I've used up all the mercy I'm going to use on him. I'm sick and tired of messing with him. Every time I turn around, I've got to help him, I've got to help him, I've got to help him. Look at all the pages, just pages I have just under Frank's name, Frank's name, Frank's name, Frank's name, Frank's name, Frank's name. Angel said, but that's what Jesus died for. I, I know that's what my son died for, but I'm tired of this right here. I'm tired of taking notes on this moron. I'm tired of, of showing this guy new things and he throws it away and she throws it away and I got pages. I'm just, I'm just full of frustration with this man, not full of mercy I've given him. All the mercy I'm going to give him, I'm not going to give him anymore. Would that not be a horrible God to serve that would have a, a certain time where he would cut you off just like people do? God never cuts off an individual. God says, I have plenty of mercy for you. I have plenty of mercy for you. I'm full, full of mercy. I never, ever run out for you. Well, the greatest illustration in the whole Bible about the God that's looking for you and trying to find you, why this is such an important Sunday, is the prodigal son and the father. I mean, there couldn't be a better story in the Bible 
that says, oh, this is how God feels. The son comes in and says, give me my money. Give me my heritage. Give me everything. I'm taking it. And he does. He, he, he ruins his life, as you, if you've ever heard the story. He ends up immoral, living with harlots and worse. He ends up spending all of his money and goes broke. He ends up living in a pig pen, eating pig food. And finally, it says he comes to himself. And that's what happens when you finally stop and say, okay, God, I need you. You come to yourself and you look at your life and say, is this all there is? Is this what I'm living for? Is this what, is this what it's all going to be about? Is where I've taken my life to this point in some form of a pig pen? And he says, I'm going back to my father's house. And even if he won't make me a son, maybe he'll let me work in the field or give me a bed in the barn or he'll do something for me. And it says the prodigal son started making his way home. And when he got to the road that led to the father's house, he started thinking to himself, okay, when the father says to me, son, what are you doing here? I'm going to say to him, father, I'm very sorry. I am very sorry. I really blew it. I'm sorry I spent your money. I ruined your name. I'm sorry I live with all the harlots. I'm sorry I've been in the pig pen. And, and, and he's, he's, he's thinking all this stuff up. And then he sees the father off the porch from his chair. He walks like someone I know. I, I think, I think that's my son. No one's paying attention to the father. But the father knows every move of this kid. The father gets up. And as the son is walking, remembering, thinking, making up his excuses, the father takes off running. And the son sees him coming. Oh, no, here it is. I knew it. Bad day for me now. Whoa, oh, 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 this is going to be horrible. Okay, I'm, when he comes, I'm just going to totally humble myself. I'm going to say, Father, forgive me. And I'm, I'm going to go at it. And the father just runs full blast. And before the son can open his mouth, the father grabs the son in a big hug. And as the son starts to say, and dad, and Mm, and father, Fred, mm, every time he opened his mouth, mm, and, you, you, you know, like, mm, and, 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 mm, and he couldn't even get his repentance out because the father was so in love with him that he saw even him on the road returning a little bit to the father was enough for the father to totally restore his life. Totally. So the son says, I don't deserve this. Dad, it's okay. Get the robe. Get the ring, get the shoes, kill the fatted calf, get the band playing. We're having a party. My son who was dead is alive and he was lost and he is found and that's all I care about. You will find no list of the son's repentance in Luke 15. Zero. Not that repentance is a biblical. Of course it is. But repentance is a heart issue. Not a word issue, it's a heart. The son repented by turning his heart toward God. And when he turned his heart toward the father, the father says, that's what I've been after the whole time. I'm gonna take, this is what I'm saying to you. Could you not just turn toward God? Even if you can't explain it and you can't, Name all the stuff that you feel. 
could you not just turn toward God and let God love you unconditionally and forgive you, restore you, heal you, give you brand new life, everything you don't deserve, everything you're ashamed about, guilty about, everything that others would say you don't deserve. No, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. And that's what the cross is all about. The cross nailed it. The cross nailed my shame, nailed my guilt, nailed my past. And the cross says to me, Frank, I paid for all that stuff. Just give it to me and let new life fill your lungs. So I take all that I was, I let it go. And I take all that he gives me which is totally mind-boggling. I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. I'll cleanse you. How? How about this? I'll make it as if it never happened. Oh, no. No, that, come on. You, you can't do that. No, I'm going I'm to make you a brand new person. Yeah, well, what does that mean? Exactly what it means. God takes the old, remakes it into a, new. And before you know it, what used to be shame is now joy. What used to be guilt is now peace. What used to be brokenness is now healed. What used to be anger is now forgiveness. What used to be doubt is now faith. What used to, used to, used to, used to be is taken up in the work of the cross and he makes you brand new. Wow. I think I am very, very happy I'm saved. I think I'm very happy that Jesus didn't give up on me. How many of you are just pretty jazzed that Jesus did not give up on you? He didn't give up on you? Where he had all kinds of reasons to maybe, I should, but I can't. I bought him. I bought her. They're mine. They belong to me. What about it? Are you ready? Are you ready to seal your life to Jesus today on this great Easter Sunday? You'll look back and you'll never forget it. Yeah, it was Easter. And you know what? I threw my life toward the Father. And he come running down the road, threw his arms around me and said, I forgive you. I love you. You're mine. I've been looking for you for a long time. And now we are going to do life together. We are going to party. We're going to make this happen. You're going to find things you never thought possible. I'm going to make you into a person you could never make yourself because that's what God does with people. Bow your head right now. Every person that knows how to pray, pray under your breath. Just pray quietly. Just pray. Say, Jesus, every person here that's unsaved, every prodigal that somehow got slipped up or astray or got messed up somewhere They don't know how to get home again. Let them find home today. Let them find Christ today. Let them find peace and forgiveness and love, eternal life. Death and hell have been swallowed up by Jesus. He has the keys. Two enemies you'll face is death and hell, but Jesus got you covered. What a great, great way in this Easter service saying Jesus I don't want to face death by myself I don't want to face hell I want you I want you I want you I want you today if you're in the room today and say 
Frank, you know what? I understand exactly what you're saying. And I need to respond to God. I need Christ in my life or I need to get back to Christ, whatever it might be. Would you right now, in the boldness of your own heart and in the significance of this kind of response, a change, a newness, both now and forevermore, hearing the voice of God coming to you right now. God is nudging you. Say, Frank, I'm a person that needs Christ in my life. Would you just right now put your hand up wherever you're seated? Just put your hand straight up right now. Say, Frank, I need Christ in my life. One, two, three, four, five. Come on, get your hand. Seven, eight, 10, 12, whatever it might be now. I see hands all over the room. If you're away from God, you understand the word prodigal. You, somehow you just got strayed and you want to get, get back to the Father. You want to get home. Lift your hand. Just lift your hand and say, I am a prodigal. And I need the love of God to come and remove the stuff from my life. Hands all over. All right, church. This is what we'll do. Let's all stand to our feet right now. Would you do that?